What is up, everybody? Episode 77. Mike and I are back from NAMM, and we've got a ton of stories to tell you and a bunch of gear to talk about. We're also going to talk about some of our favorite recorded fills ever. Our featured artist this time is Mr. Ray Luzier. In the gear review section, Mike will be checking out the Gibraltar pedal enhancers. Let's get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Like that. Like that. That was completely solid on my side. Dude, that wasn't too bad on my side either. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, man? I'm good. Are you? I got a little bit of the Nam hangover. You only had I one day, gonna, though. So I only had one day, so no Nam thrax. Yeah. I'm healthy as a bug. I don't know what that means, but uh, yeah, I feel, I feel great, man. <laughs> healthy <laughs> and as I a also, tick. <laughs> I'm healthy as a tick, and I didn't fly. So uh, yeah. Amber and I drove down both ways, so I, I didn't have to deal with people on a plane. And uh, yeah, Nam, Nam was golden, man. Uh, did, yeah. So you didn't get sick. You're just having a little hangover? Yeah, there's. I mean, when you're having to talk over that, you know, 110 mm. decibels of drums all day, it just yep. kind of gives you laryngitis, which it kind of feels like a cold. But you know, like right. yesterday, I was just kind of rough, and I'm still feeling yeah. a little groggy. But the worst part is, I, I've been. I was tracking my my steps, and and total, we walked like 30 miles over the four days. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah. Wow. And that's 30 wow. miles of going like half a mile an hour, taking yeah. baby steps on concrete yeah. floors. So. I, I feel like I was in a, and being in coach flights where my knees don't have any room and my right. hips are twit. I mean, I feel beat up. It makes me feel really old when I come back from a trade show and I feel like I was in a wrestling match. Yeah, you know what? There, there's some kind of uh, uh, Rick. Do you know Rick Kyland? Rick Kyland? No, I don't. Okay, he was a longtime rep for HSS back in the day when they carry when they were the Sabian people and everything. Okay. And uh, but he was just always the epitome to me of trade show guy. Like he always came back from a trade show every time I saw him in the store that I was working at. But there's not that many trade shows. But I saw him like every month, and he was like, "Yeah, I just got back from this show in you know <laughs> Bangladesh." And he just you know, and he always smelled like cheap cologne. I, I love the guy for sure. But I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna pull the I'm gonna pull the plug before I get there." You know, I'll go to trade shows until I come home and I I whine about my knees and I know. you know, it's and instead so of taking bad. a shower, I just put on extra cologne. Like I want to I want to hold some some bit of a. Of, of happiness in my life, so I I, I had a bla- I'm telling you right now, if you ever have the choice, the one day Nam show experience is awesome. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I would have been done on Thursday if I could have been. Oh, I yeah. swept in, <clears throat> hugged a bunch of people, had a great dinner with Vader, and drove home. Yeah, it's like that's it, man. That's the way sweet. to do it. No, but it was fun, man. So right off the bat, give me a product or two or three that really stuck out to you uh, from the show. Uh, I think A and F was or even company. Okay. Definitely the Buzz company. I mean, they yeah. they came out with a really good showing, and uh, I think I told you when at the show that that was the first time I sat down at a drum set at an amp show and felt like I could actually play it, and it made me make music. You know, normally yeah. I'd have like one stick in my hand, I keep my backpack on, and I just right. hit the toms. I'm like, yep, they sound great, and I have no desire to do anything more than that. You actually played? I sat down for like a good five, seven minutes. And really? Just played quiet, slow grooves. Now, were you playing the ANF the the wood kit or on or the all brass kit? I went around to all of them. Uh, okay. I started on the brass one, uh, and then I went to the one on the right that had the snare throw off on the toms. Which yeah, the snom. Cool. Yeah, the snare tom. Yeah, super cool. But there was the, actually the other one on with the, with the eighteen inch snare drum. Yeah, that was the one. That was like, all right, I found some sounds here. I can the I can gunshot dig snare. In. So I just played it like sixty three BPM and like nice. mezzo piano and just. Loved it every second oh, of it, man. I, I I feel the same. I mean, A and F. I was just 
I had such high hopes. I almost felt like they co- couldn't possibly live up to what I wanted. And, you know, I I think I've told you and the listeners I've ordered two snares for myself. Yeah, uh, fourteen by five and a half, which was all the way in the back corner. Yeah, and as soon as I hit it, I was like, "That's my snare." That's yeah. oh, that drum. I think that, I, that was like uh, in in uh, what is it, Indiana Jones when they go with to find the 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 uh, what is it the the cup. Oh yeah, yeah, the, the yeah, the, uh, the chalice, uh, <laughs> the chalice. Yeah. yeah, and there's like all these beautiful glasses, and there's that one just kind of hiding back there. Yep, that's what the that one. drum was. As soon as I hit oh. it too, I was like, "Yeah, that might be one of the best sounding drums I've ever heard." Yeah, I, I freaked out. Rami told me that it'll be here by the end of the month, so we're on the 25th. So nice. Um, and uh, I got I lucked out. My first time to the booth, I got to hear the drums demoed very properly by Bernard Purdy. Oh, I saw the video they put up too. Yeah. yeah, so I walk up to the booth and I'm like, "Oh, well, that's what a great way to hear these drums for the first time is to have the king play them." And it was it was absolutely awesome. And they had one of their employees, um, this guy named Taber, was playing with Bernard. And if you look at Taber, you would think you know, tattooed guy, very hip guy. You think, okay, he's going to shed Bernard, and he was playing so complimentary and. Yeah. He was playing these little nuggets of melodic things that would let Bernard finish them. And so when it was done, I was like, bro, seriously, good job. Like, (laughs) I don't know a lot of people that had the maturity to really hang in there with Bernard and kind of serve him up these softballs and let him hit him out of the park. And and Taber did a great job. So that A&F blew me away for sure. Um, I was really happy to actually hear the snares that I've ordered and be like, okay, these are exactly what I wanted. Um, And then – even though we've had them as my pick of the week in the past, man, did you get a chance to stop by Tackle Instrument? You know, Stick briefly. Bags? Unfortunately, there were a few of those companies that I didn't get a chance to spend any time with, but everyone okay. was, was raving about them, and they won an man. award, I believe. Yeah, and, and, and you know what? Honestly, it was meeting Scott McPherson. That he's the guy that makes all the stuff. He's the okay. owner. And I just assumed he was – I mean, their stuff is so hip and so ultra – almost throwback modern that I thought, okay, he's probably going to be like this 35 super hip punk that wears glasses that don't have actual lenses in them and all this <laughs> stuff. Dude, he was like the sweetest man I've ever met. And he he pretty much – it was really cool. He just straight up said, look, man, I don't need you to ever post pictures. You don't have to promote my company. If you use my gear, that is enough. I, I love what you do for the drumming community. He was just the nicest guy ever, and then the gear that he put out was incredible. And you know something's good when Ron Danette actually says something nice about it. Like, yeah, he was wearing Ron does shirt. Say, yeah. yeah, Ron does say nice things, but he, <laughs> it's not to say them. I mean, if he believes in it, he promotes it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I was like, oh, man, when you get the Ron Danette's, you know, sign-off, <laughs> you're doing all right. So Yeah, he told me something funny. And, you know, everyone, all the exhibitors are there to get new dealers. And he's like, okay, yeah, sure. I, I fired some dealers this year. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's so awesome. That yeah. guy's the man, dude. Yeah, but, uh, you know, other stuff, I've, Masters of Maple, I'm always, I'm always really impressed with. Yeah. They have six lug bronze snares that sounded really, really cool. Oof. I mean, they just sounded super fat, it, so everyone kind of dug those. And symbol-wise, uh, I was glad to see Zildjian bring back the K Custom Special Dries. Those Man, were really cool. Those were amazing. That was my other pick, uh, you know. And for a minor artist, you know it's real when I say that one of my favorite things at the show was a Zildjian product. Um, <laughs> right. It was. I I had actually told Ash, I'm like, hey, can you take me over there? It's always. I don't want to be by myself at the. At the Zildjian booth. Just show me what's cool. So Ash Stone took me over there, and we were checking out the stuff, and I I was blown away. I thought it sounded fantastic. I don't know if you've seen Larnell's video. Um, he did a whole video for that series. So, yeah, so I had Ash take me over to the Zildjian booth, and we started going through the symbols, and they were just 
unreal. I was really, really excited about it. Um, because honestly, as an educator, there's, I have a lot of students that say, Hey, I love your crash, your 19 inch extra dry crash, but I'm a Zildjian guy. They have a lot of brand loyalty and they'll say, what, what is that in a Zildjian? And honestly, I've, I've always had to say they, they just don't make this. This yeah. is not what they do. And so that's the closest thing I've seen to the minor extra dry line. So I, I was really stoked on that. And yep. then just people wise, man, getting to spend time, uh, with the people that I really, don't get to see very often. I got to hang out a lot with Nathaniel Townsley, which, you know, he's like one of my biggest heroes. And that mm-hmm. was great. Uh, went out to dinner with uh, Abe Cunningham from the Deftones. Had a good Vader dinner with him. Got to spend time with Ash and Mark. Uh, mm-hmm. Just having the three of us back together was fun. And then got in some great hang time with Brendan Buckley as well from Shakira. So yeah. know, overall, I got to see the people I really care about. And it was, it was awesome. Yeah, I thought it was a good show overall. It was another one where there wasn't a lot of just junky stuff there in – Totally, and and people are really kind of into just you know talking about you know real stuff, so getting down to get sharing ideas, and you know it was just it was I thought it was just a good overall vibe. Uh, you know, it's definitely getting smaller. I don't know if you felt that. Uh, I totally did. Yeah, yeah. The drums are um, getting. I've actually heard rumors that we're all the drums are going to be in Hall C instead of D next year. Really? Yeah, I don't know what that means. It's been weird. They've been putting like guitars and like woodwinds and stuff in the drum hall the past few years. So yeah, it gets a little confusing. I mean, I I never saw Tama or Pearl because um, yeah. I I didn't know where they were. Um, the only wait, did, yeah, Gretsch was pretty hard to find because it was where I would normally look for microphones. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And I had to actually have somebody show me where Gretsch was. Somebody walked me there. Um, so yeah, so I, I uh, and I never made it to DW. I'm a DW hardware artist, but I'm assuming they were upstairs somewhere. Yeah, they were upstairs. So it was Pearl. So it was Roland. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, Roland actually is something that we should definitely let people know about. They have a, I think it might be a five input uh, USB to lightning cable interface. Really? So you, it doesn't have microphone inputs, but it has quarter inch and eighth inch inputs. So you can you can plug in, uh, you know. If you have a mixer, you can run line out of that into this. You can run your iPad or whatever into it. It has a you know independent level controls for everything, so you can record you know good quality audio straight to your videos with you know not having to do any post mixing or anything. That's really cool, especially for people doing drum covers. If they could have their microphones yeah. go into a mixer, out of the mixer into that, yep. and then have their iPad or iPhone that or iPad, yeah, um, yep. or music player. That's awesome. Super cool. I think it's only like a hundred bucks. So, oh that's, wow, that's gonna. I think that's gonna be flying off the shelves. That was the one thing that we. Were, I mean, Roland always has really nice high end stuff, but you know when uh, Leslie Butnow from from Roland showed that to me and Miguel, yep. we were both like, okay, that might have won it all. And just this little like four inch square thing. <laughs> Isn't it funny, man? Like I, I think about. You know what did Minel get an award for? They're symbol tuners, right? Magnets, <laughs> right, and um, <laughs> it's just like uh, there's so many breakthrough products, but sometimes it's like, hey, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just have to make something useful. Like, would I actually use that? You know, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's that's the that's the key to that. Awesome, man. Well, let's uh, get switch gears and move into some drumming. So. You and I try our best in this podcast to get people to understand the importance of groove and technique and feel and touch, but it would be silly to pretend like drum fills and cool chops don't exist. Uh, so I put out the, the not challenge, but the request to you and said, hey, let's pick our favorite recorded drum fills. And what I love is that without talking to each other, both of us picked very non-choppy things, yeah. uh, very yeah. musical things that 
accentuated the music at the key point in time. So why don't you give us your pick since it's a classic? Yeah, I went with one of the first times I paid attention to the drums, and that was, gosh, what year did this come out? Uh, 80s? 80s. Yeah, definitely the eighties. Uh, definitely eighties by the shoulder pad jackets in the video. <laughs> but it's uh, "Simple Minds." Don't you forget about me with Mel oh. Gainer on the drums, and that I mean the drums are mixed so well in that song. It was such yeah. a huge hit, but they give him that like little break about three and a half minutes in, where it's it's like a snare drum fill with some diddles and one open hi hat note. But but it's so it just money. knocked me out. It's such a hook. I mean, you can't. Everybody knows that drum fill. Like, it, musicians, non musicians. Drummers, well, you know what's, drummers. what's funny is like when I learned that as a kid, it as far as technology, you know, I I can't remember if I had, I don't think I had it on a record, but I think I had it on a tape. So you didn't like just play the fill over and over again. You played the whole song, and you just couldn't wait to get to that fill on <laughs> yeah. the drums. And it's so and it's late like, in the song. It's late, so you got to <laughs> really have some patience, but. Um, you know that that Phil and that song taught me so much because that's how I thought Phils were supposed to be. I, I never thought of them as these things that happened every four bars. Yeah. You know, I thought like you might get one per song because, like we both we both said before we started recording, there's that, and then you know my other, I guess influence Phil Collins was you know in the air tonight. So it was like mm-hmm. that's three and a half minutes in before the drums even start before yep. you get the big fill but yeah so did you take influence from this fill not just drumming wise but also maybe tuning wise do you remember tuning your snare to try to get that sound because i mean it's a very it's a it's a buffy thing man yeah i mean this came out before i was playing drums but oh really okay but just kind of stuck with me i just it was i was like a a mtv casey Kasem, solid gold i mean i watched all that stuff all day long and it was just one of those songs where, like, I paid attention to the drums. And if it was right. a Van Halen song, I'd probably pay attention to the guitar. Sure. But this one was like, that just hit me. And, it's the one, man. Yeah, and looking, listening back, it was just the clarity. Yeah. And just yeah. simple. I mean, it sounds, the first time, too, like, wow, that's really complicated or that's really kind of hip. But it's just sixteenths with some diddles and accents and one open hi-hat note. But it's just yeah. so signature. I don't think you can but, play that song without at least trying to mimic that fill. Totally. And it's as soon as it happens, it's like, okay, I, I have to learn that. I have to commit that to memory. Now, I haven't played it in a, you know maybe over a decade, but do you remember that open hi-hat? For some reason, I keep thinking that it doesn't have a bass drum. No, I don't think so. You know, and I'm so, so used to when I do that little, an E or an uh on the open hi-hat to me has a kick, you know, and it like kind of gives it that punch. And I think that open yeah. hi-hat's all by itself. Which yeah, is really is. cool I'm too. At the, uh, I'm looking at a transcription now. Yep. Yeah. There's that's, no, it's on yeah. like the end of two with nothing, nothing under it. So it's just this big, bright, open hi hat note. <laughs> that's oh, so cool. Okay. And just a hi hat sound. I mean, I love those. Yeah. The thicker kind of bright sound on this song. All right. No, no more teasing our audience. Let's let them hear the fill. All right. So what's your fill? Mine is actually from an artist named Nicholas David, and it's a cover of She's Gone by Hall & Oates. And this is from The Voice. So this is our, our friend Nate Morton on drums. And just like the song that you chose, The Voice always, when they put out music, they always mix the drums really loud. And mm-hmm. I love it. The drums are very present, and Nate plays the hell out of them. And this fill is about 2 minutes and 40 seconds deep into She's Gone. And one thing that I also love about the voices they'll bring back some songs where maybe i wasn't a fan of the recording but i always thought the song was great and so to hear 
this song recorded brand new instead of the um, 80s version from Hall & Oates, which was fantastic. But I love having a hipper version of it. So they're on like their fourth or fifth chorus, and they're going to go around for the double chorus. And Nate does this fill that's all like – I would consider it tonality-wise descending 16th note triplets. And then he just hammers this little uh, quarter note triplet thing. Or let's see. Oh, eighth note triplet thing. So he's got... And it, I, I swear it slows down. But it, I, I know it doesn't, but it feels like it slows down. And I feel like they pitch bend the bass drum. It's like... Doom, doom, doom. And it, it's all in my head, but he did it. And it was it's just my favorite fill that's recorded. I mean, I've got a couple other ones, but I remember when I heard that. The cool thing about that is that's not from my childhood. That's that didn't blow me away when I couldn't play drums. I've been playing for 30 years at the time that I heard this fill or 32 years. Mm-hmm. And I was like, damn. And one thing that you and I always talk about is it's not about the notes you play or or even the notes you don't play. It's about the choices you make. I wouldn't have chosen to play that fill there because I wouldn't have been mature enough. And so I was I was always just impressed by Nate's choice in that moment. So where was it in the track? It's about 245, 247. All right. Let's check it out. She's gone. Isn't it cool how something as simple as just a triplet gives it oh, so much drama? So much drama. It's it's epic, man. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it's like it all makes sense to me when I'm off the drums. Yeah. And then when I get on the drums, I forget all about it. And then I hear it. I'm like, why didn't I do that? <laughs> Damn. All right, guys. So hopefully we can always bring you more of that stuff because I love when you get a chance to hear the things that uh, get Mike and my juices flow. Eh, it's not going to work out really well. <laughs> no, I'm going to stop you right there. I was going right. to say that uh, <laughs> you know, when you ask me about my favorite grooves of all time and things like that, it's like, yeah, I got them. But when you say favorite drum fills, there's a lot. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. way harder for me to, to pick just one for that than it would be for just my favorite grooves. I mean, there's been so many, like the entrance fill of Dave Grohl on Smells Like Teen Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that just changed everything. I mean, there's just so changed many. The game. Yeah. No, there's uh, – and, and there's – I'm not just into one <laughs> fill or one type of fill. Like there's – there's things that Carter Beaufort did in the first couple of Dave Matthews records that were full out chops, and I was like, okay, I love it. It works great. And then there's really simple things. Uh, there's a live version of Vinny playing with Sting, and they play, um, oh, God, what is that song? Uh, I can't remember the song. Anyways, it's the it's a song where Vinny does – he's got an entire measure to play a fill and all he does is hit the floor tom on the downbeat of four. Uh, and it's like, oh, you dirty bird. So I think I think a great fill just has to impact you emotionally at that moment of the song and lift the song. You know? Yeah. I mean the other one I was going to pick would be like the antithesis of everything that I espouse and that's that Hot Rods fill that Carter Beaufort plays and Say yeah, Goodbye. Yeah. I mean it's like a – 30 beat double stroke roll i mean it's <laughs> but it's so amazing it, it, it's all about the moment you know yeah. um and i think that's what we do as drummers subconsciously is we're training so that when the moment comes whatever you need i have it in the bag if you just need a quarter note on the floor tom i've got your back and if yep. you need me to go full bananas i <laughs> i trained for that i never thought it would i never thought this day would come but all right <laughs> let's do it <laughs> so, so, here we go actually yeah, i think exactly. he plays it singles but i always I'm love sure his doubles well, yeah, his, his singles are cleaner than my doubles, so that's annoying. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, let's get into our featured artist this time. It <clears throat> is the drummer for Corn, spelled with a K. That is Mr. Ray Luzier, and Ray has been on the scene for 
quite a while, and it was yep. really cool to see him get into such a massive band. And he just really, I, at least to me, when I first saw that Ray was playing with Corn, I thought it was like, okay, he'll be the the band aid for the band until they find their drummer. And he just killed he killed the gig so hard that he is their drummer. He's been with them since two thousand nine. So that's really hard to believe, right? I know. Like, and that I mean, he's a member of Corn and. Uh, big shoes to feel fill from David Silveria, and I knew of Ray because when the band that I had stopped touring with, when I was playing percussion for called Filter, then they did a band called Army of Anyone, or at least the singer Richie did, and uh-huh. Ray was the drummer for that. Yeah. So that's how Ray. I, I mean, I'm sure I knew a little bit about him playing with David Lee Roth um, because I was a huge fan of when uh, David Lee Roth did Skyscraper with Greg Bissonette. Oh, I think yeah. that's the name of the album, but yeah. I, I loved uh, Little Yankee Rose. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, so I, I knew of Ray a little bit, then followed him through Army of Anyone, and then all of a sudden he got the corn gig and it just blew up. And then we got to play together at the thing that you guys put on uh, Drum Days. Oh, yeah, that's right. And he's so a good hang, too. Such a oh, nice my guy. gosh. We got along so well. And I had a partner to hide in the uh, crowd with when it came time to do the brush thing. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, let's <laughs> let the jazz guys do that. Ray, you and I, let's go sit down in the crowd. So, uh, and we were both very happy to have each other as rock drummers, rock brothers. Yeah. But I mean, he's a monster. Getting to watch him play those songs, and then uh, everything he's done. I mean, gone to Musicians Institute and graduated from there. So he really, yeah, did he taught it. there for a long time too. Did he really? Yeah, that's how I uh, first met him. He he had a, he put out a DVD. I can't remember what it was called, but it was it was a, it was an MI uh, production. Okay. Really good. I mean, he talks just, he's one of those kind of all around badass drummers, sort of like a Greg Bissonette. He can play metal, yep. he can play funk, he can play whatever. I've never heard him play jazz, but I'm sure he could He could do it pretty convincing. He was in jazz band in high school, yeah. Uh, so he had that, and that, it was right around when I started the magazine, so we're going back 12 years at wow. this point. And he played PASIC that first year that I went. I don't remember the year. It might have been 2005, okay. 2006. Uh, and he was at that time he was an Orange County drums and percussion endorser, so he had this like Coke bottle green kit. Yeah. But the the craziest part was his clinic was the nine AM slot. <laughs> oh. In like one of the smaller rooms when they were doing like some of them in the smaller room, some in the bigger room. And he annihilated. I mean, the guy came with so much energy at nine AM in the morning. No microphones in that room. And he just projected and he had the cool china like way up in front yep, of yep. his kit. It was really inspiring. I mean, just his power and clarity. I mean, he's one of those guys that can play really, really loud, but it's so fluid. It just feels natural and comfortable. And it's full. I mean, when when he plays, no matter how close you are to him, it's not that that thing where you're reaching for your earplugs instantly. It's yeah. like you kind of want to not have earplugs. You want to soak it in because he has such a full sound. Yeah. And he has I, – I mean, we've talked about it in the past too. Some people are just – born to be rock stars he just looks good when he plays rock music you know he's yeah. got yeah. he doesn't look like he's putting on an act it's like oh man i i can see you at 10 years old in your bedroom jamming the led zeppelin just like this like yeah. you've been doing this your whole life and you're just built for it uh, he's, he's a fantastic player now is he a pearl artist yes he is a pearl yeah. artist i don't know what 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 series is he playing uh, i think it changes i would assume it's a masterworks or uh one of those those pure uh, reference series yeah, I think he's got a reference series, um, and then uh, yeah, he played reference on the Paradigm Shift tour. And can you tell that I'm on Wikipedia right now? And uh, <laughs> I can tell you that it's in Granite Sparkle, <laughs> but on the Paradigm Shift tour is in Natural Maple with Black Hardware. He, you know, he's uh, doing a little bit of the slant away symbol thing now. 
Oh boy, he's oh in boy. The, he's in the February issue of the magazine. There's a two page picture of him, and it could be the photo, but I think it's also he's got his his ozone crash kind of slanted away, and his ride symbols kind of slanted away from him. Wow, which is interesting. He's probably doing more kind of washy ride stuff. So is he still? I'm assuming he's still super active with corn. Do you know if he's doing anything else? Does he? Have you seen him do a lot of clinics, or is he just too busy with corn? I think he does them whatever he can, but he just put out the second album with his band uh, KXM. Which oh has, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Doug, this bassist singer from Kings X, and George Lynch from Lynch Mob. Yeah, which is kind of just really cool alternative slash classic rock slash metal kind of music. Mm-hmm. And it's a power trio. I mean, they're just they're just rocking out. But they write good yeah. songs. Was, no, absolutely. I remember when the first album came out. It was. Um, all of my rock buddies were very much so into it. So yeah, it doesn't um, sound like a, a side project or anything. It sounds like a band, which is yeah, you know, for sure. It doesn't always happen when guys do their own thing after you know because Corn's his main gig. But this sounds like it's his, his passion project, which is cool. That's yeah, he's, awesome. He's super busy. We did that. At, we might talk about it last week. We did a Facebook Live with him. Oh yeah, that's right. Unbelievable how the response. I mean, it it. it it was unbelievable. Over a million people saw the video. I was like, Jesus. That's crazy. This guy's super popular. Yeah, and I mean, he's just, you just never hear anything bad about him. I mean, I spent, you know, you know what the festivals are like. So we were together from morning until late at night, uh, backstage, playing together, jamming together, and not one negative thing came out of his mouth. I mean, he just, you know, he just does it the right way. So he's yep. an incredible guy, incredibly humble. Um, you, you, you can't get an air of... Um, you know, ego from him whatsoever. Incredibly humble and a fantastic player. So, guys, check out Ray Luzier. Uh, you can check him out in the current issue of Modern Drummer. That's the one with uh, Stella Mazgoa on the cover. And uh, yeah, the more you can learn about him, just know that he's he's a monster rock drummer. All righty, let's get into some gear review. Yep. So, it is time to check out gadgets. Yes. So, I'm not the gadget guy. <laughs> it's not my thing. Uh, but I'm always open. To something that could be really cool. So these are the Gibraltar pedal enhancers, right? Yeah, there's these little um, clamp-on. There's like a sh- egg shaker one. There's a, like a tambourine jingle one, and there's a finger cymbal one. It just clamps onto your bass drum beater shaft. So you don't have to buy a new beater. No, it just. It. I was actually worried that you would have to take the beater off in order to attach these, but they're designed in a way you just kind of snap them on and then tighten them down with a, a drum key. And they didn't move. I was I was worried they would rotate really? and destroy my drum head without me, you know, if I wasn't paying attention. Sure, but it didn't. It stayed. It stayed completely on there. Um, obviously, it's not for everyone because you don't necessarily want to have a finger cymbal smacking every time you hit your bass drum. That was probably the more like, you know, very specialized of the three. Because it's okay. I mean, so a finger in cymbal. The, in- I got you. So I'm looking at a picture that has, and I think you guys even used this, maybe this picture in the magazine. It has all three on one beater shaft, but they're meant to be used individually, I'm assuming. Yeah, they ship them on like just a metal rod that's like that picture. I got you. That's just how they're shipped. Yeah, but yeah, just one. I wouldn't put more than one. It'd be too heavy. Sure, sure. Um, The shaker one was pretty subtle, so that would be like a, you know, acoustic gig or even use that with a cajon pedal or something if you're using a cajon. But it did. I mean, it did. It's like an egg shaker, and it was. You could. I was able to kind of keep the pedal moving to get like eighth notes. And okay, not, so and that's what I was going to ask. Can time. you use? Okay, so you could use that shaker with your right foot and not make contact with the bass drum, and then just get like an egg shaker. Yeah, I mean, it took some okay. practice. It's sure. Not, I mean, 
it just depends on how much time you're willing to invest in it. But I was able to kind of keep a 16th note thing going and just hit the bass drum as I would normally. Cool. Same thing with the jingles. It, you know, they were they were controllable. But like I said, it's uh, maybe you'd put it on a secondary bass drum or or a percussion setup. Um, right. They, they, you know, if you're playing loud, you're not going to hear them. Yeah, it seems like they'd be perfect for the the guy or girl that's doing a lot of the coffee house gigs. Yeah. Maybe you put it on your bass drum pedal that is actually attached to a cajon instead yeah. of a bass drum. Yeah. Um, I think the word sim- or uh, uh, pedal enhancers is really good as far as it's like you said. I, I don't see these changing everything about your your sound. It just seems like it would enhance it slightly, especially if you're playing low volume gigs. Yeah. You know. Yeah, um, you play a lot of brushes and stuff. Anything that's that's sure. acoustic, and you don't need microphones. I mean, you could mic it up, but it I seems think- like it just give it a little bit extra texture. I would love to see uh, one of our idols, Matt Chamberlain, use these. I'm sure he would find some extremely creative ways, and he definitely would have all three on the same beat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, him or I, mean, I think Terry Bozio did, did something similar back okay. a, a years back, and then obviously Jim Keltner. I mean, it, it's kind of made for guys who are looking to not play typical drum set stuff. So out of the three, you've got the egg shaker, the tambourine jingles, and then the uh, finger cymbals. Is there a huge difference between the finger cymbals and the tambourine? Yeah, because a finger cymbal, it, it's just bright and chimey, and it rings forever. So okay. if you play that more than twice a measure, it just becomes a, a wash of high-pitched. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's like, if that's like the uh, you're playing whole notes on the bass drum, then you might get that. Okay. The tambourine ones, you could get more of a shaky sound and then also play the drum. So awesome. I would put the tambourine and the shaker in the same world of you can create some texture. It's kind of subliminal, not super loud. Cool. And the finger symbol would be like put it on that one pedal that you're going to hit like once every three minutes. <laughs> well, and there and for all three, it's not that expensive. I mean, you're looking at twenty six ninety five uh, for all three sale price. So yep. uh, it's not too bad of it. If it if you're somebody that plays a lot of quiet gigs and just are looking for anywhere to get in a little extra texture. It seems like they'd be cool. Now, do we actually have audio of these? Yeah, I did video demos of all three. Sweet. Let's check it out. Okay, we're going to crank through some, again, some of the older listener questions that have been here. Uh, we're probably due for another all or almost all listener question episode next week. But the first one comes from Glenn Stella. And he's saying, uh, knowing that we are double bass uh, <laughs> specialists, he wanted to get some suggestions on how to creatively include stick control and rudiments into his practicing while working on a double bass kit. Oh. Uh, he wants to make it more challenging and fun, but he also wants to optimize his time. Sure. 
I mean, my, you got, uh, buddy? I, I did spend a lot of time practicing double bass in college. Uh, not necessarily because I wanted to be a double bass player, but I thought it was just a skill I I had to have kind of worked up. Um, so I actually used um, stick control, and I would play either unisons with the hands and feet and then change the hands going through all the patterns. So yeah, so just the feet would play example one, and then I'd go through one through 13 with the hands, and I'd change do the, the feet would do example two, and I'd go through one through 13, all playing 16th notes. Or I would double it and have the the feet go twice as fast and have the hands play half nice. or half the speed. I did a lot of that, and that's all kind of adapted into. There's a whole book called uh, Four Way Coordination by uh, I think it's Marvin Dahlgren and Elliot Fine. That that kind of there's a whole section where they call it like harmonic practice or whatever, and that's that's basically what they do. They're showing you ways to play stick control with your feet and then other versions of stick control with your hands to develop forward nice. coordination. So that would be number one. And the other thing would just be pick an ostinato with your feet, double strokes or paradiddles, and just work through your rudiments over top of it. And that's you know, nothing love super it. creative, but it's very challenging. Yeah, I'd probably go through um, especially one of the things that I think people have a lot of trouble with no matter how fast their feet are are talking being able to speak between your hands and your feet so mm. uh one thing i'd probably do is play singles at a nice mezzo forte volume on the snare and then play through those stick control examples with your feet but your feet are actually playing the in-betweens so if you imagine your hands let's say instead of 16th notes let's imagine your hands playing eighth notes then your feet would be playing the patterns on the E's and the U's. Oh, so cool. constant singles with the with the hands, and then play the stick control patterns in between that. Um, so you're getting this kind of like ducka 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 between your hand and your feet, and then you can eventually start moving your hands around. But that'll clean up your ability to play between uh, your limbs instead of always stacking them together. That's that thing that that I think Vinny might have been the first I heard do it, and then Steve Smith kind of mastered it as well. That it sounds like just a rumble. Where yeah. they're, they're playing that on like the floor toms, so the hands yep. are hitting floor toms and the, the feet are in between. I cannot do that. I can't get to that speed where if I can get that natural with it. I think I'm, I'm probably it. three years deep into it, and it's just now showing up in my playing. Oh, yeah. And it used to be one of those things where I could do it really well if you let me work up into it. Give me five minutes of dugga 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 dugga, but I could never be playing and then just go like get. Um, and it's just now after three years of putting probably about an hour a day, it's just now showing up in my clinics and stuff. So in your, your double bass clinics, <laughs> I still do it with one foot because okay. I'm not cool. But, uh, but I mean, just even playing singles in general between hands and feet is tough. And yeah. then to do it doubles, I mean, do it with a double bass, it, it makes it even harder, but yeah. it's, it's great exercise for cleaning up your drumming. So, yeah. And the other thing I just remembered I used to do was I would pick a different subdivision. So the feet, oh, yeah. would, feet would play triplets, at, you know, going through the stick control patterns as triplets and the hands would play it as eighths or sixteenths. So you can kind of work nice. on your polyrhythms. Yeah, that's awesome. Beautiful. Yeah, that All book right, is next. endless, and I never went past, you know, basically exercise 1 to 13 was enough for years and years of, of yeah. ideas. Still working on it. Yep. Next one comes from Robert over in London. He's saying, um, do you guys have any advice for a drummer who hasn't played for seven years? He started back, and he's playing basic grooves in 4-4 time and building from there. He wants to know if that is the best place for him to start. Restart. Stay off of social media. 
It is, <laughs> it is depressing. Everyone you see seems to be like some genius that's right. uh, just like a direct descendant of Jesus. And they just <laughs> <laughs> it's just unreal how much talent you're bombarded with when you look at social media. So um, you know, I think that one thing that would be really helpful if you have access to it, take some private drum lessons. Um, as yeah. much as I would love to promote my website to you right now, I, I'd rather you take some private drum lessons first, get get your basic reading skills back up, um, have someone actually be in the room with you and stare at your limbs and um, kind of find some old habits that are left over from when you played originally and say, look, this is a great time to correct these things. You don't you don't have to have these habits anymore. Um, so if you can, I would say start with some private drum lessons. If you don't have access to a private teacher in your area, then uh, we have a course on mikeslessons.com that's called Starting from Scratch. So just go to the courses and you'll see a button that says, you know, are you brand new to drumming? Click here and then it'll give you the Starting from Scratch course. And that'll just get you back up to speed and back with the lingo and some basic grooves and some basic fills. And then from there, you can kind of take off on the site. Yeah, my uh, my suggestion. I used to I used to do the workshop uh, that I called "Let the Music Guide You." Uh, it basically, it was how I was practicing all through college and, and graduate school, where I didn't I didn't open a book, I didn't go to a lesson and say, "Give me an assignment." I just found music that kind of stirred my soul and got me mm. interested. Yeah, and I would just try to play along to it and 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 figure it out. And then when I would find something that I just couldn't quite play. If if I could figure it out, I would just isolate it and then use that as a practice exercise. If I couldn't yeah. figure it out, I'd go to someone that was yeah. better than me or a teacher right. and say, "What you know? What do you think he's doing there?" And then I that think would that spawn that's, a whole practice. That's regimen. always the uh, the scary part with a student is, you know, when you don't know <laughs> what you don't know. Sometimes yeah. you think like, "Man, I really want to play animals as leaders." And it's like. Oh, well, so do I. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, yeah, you so, got to find something that's within your so capability. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's the key is finding those things where you're like, I think I could do that. If you gave me two hours, I think I could do that. That's the stuff that you should be working on. And sometimes people have to understand to play Tom Sawyer by Rush, I had to learn how to play to the Beach Boys. You yeah, know what I mean? I didn't yeah. start chipping away at Rush. I learned how to play the Beach Boys, then the Beatles, and it, and then Quiet Riot, and then it finally, you know, years later, led to Rush. So yeah. um, take your time with it, and just know that it's a long haul instrument. And more importantly, Mike and I are just glad you're playing again, man. That's right. Just have fun. That's the most important thing. Uh, the next one here is from Ben. He's asking. Uh, he he recently, but this was a couple of months back, <laughs> moved to L.A. with his band. Uh, and he's he's looking to also get into some session work. So his question is about the musician union. Uh, oh wow! He knows that they might not not necessarily be necessary to get that kind of work. But do you guys recommend them? Um, he's heard you know both basically both sides of the story. So he's just curious if we have any experience with the union. I I personally don't at all. Do you? I I mean I don't. I I joined it when I was a, a teenager because it was okay. a way to just kind of connect with some of the older musicians in town. It didn't really lead to too much work, and I'd cert- I haven't done any work where I had to be a union member. It was okay. more of just getting my name, you know, because it was like my teacher was in the union, so he would introduce me to other people, and I started playing like community theater and you know, local brass band gigs and stuff. Right. Uh, but you know that was in a, a small town in Maryland, so if, I think if you're if you're looking to do anything like I th- I'm pretty sure Broadway, you have to be union. Uh, I would assume most of the Hollywood film scoring stuff is probably unionized. So I don't sure. know. I mean, it's it's not cheap. I think you just have to kind of see the strength of the union in your town. Is it is it have any real power? 
Yeah, I mean, talking to guys that are part of the union and asking where where they got their gigs, and if if it comes from there, then then you're then you're golden, you know. Um, but if exactly. not, then maybe it's just something you can kind of lay off on for a while. So awesome. Cool. This one comes from Josh. Uh, again, this one came from a while ago, so hopefully he's gotten through this rut. But uh, last few years, he's he's managed to keep himself challenged by really diving into getting to- the right tones for his gigs and learn how to play the backing tracks and building you know unique kits f- with the hybrid percussion and stuff. Um, but he says he's getting to the point where he's losing motivation to practice or learn anything new because it never gets used in the real world of the pop singer songwriter world that he's in. Uh-huh. Um, do you, what do you do to keep that drumming flame burning? Man, it's, it's almost like having a dual personality, right? Cause yeah. you, you have the thing that brings you, you know, money, which is your gigs and, and most people that are actually getting paid to play pop, they actually like it, you know, yeah, um, yeah. that's, that's the key. And then sometimes you just want to go sit down and go bananas. I mean, that's really, that's luckily how we got bop. I mean, we had yeah. big band musicians playing pop tunes of the day. And they were like, yeah, uh, at 10 p.m., we're all meeting up at this club. And we're yeah. going to let let it out. Just improvise, you know, for four hours. Exactly. So I think you just have to come to peace with you're going to have a dual personality. And um, uh, it's funny. Mine is the exact opposite. Like, I play very busy stuff for clinics and clinic tours and, and um, drum festivals. But when I'm by myself and playing only for myself, I'm playing the most simple pop tunes possible. Cause I just like playing along the music, you know, uh, just got the new four, the four song EP from John Mayer. And the first song almost has like a D'Angelo feel on it. And I played to it like 20 times in a row last night. And I don't think I even left kick snat and hair Kick snat and hair. Snat. <laughs> Can we please make that a T-shirt? Kick snat hair. <laughs> Jeez, that is uh, awesome. What does a snat look like? Well, it's, it's a if you if you open your hair and then uh, just get a little chick on the snat. Oh my goodness gracious. That I got, I, I can't recover from that. Kick, snare, Kick, and hair. Snat, and hair, man. Kick, snare, and hat. <laughs> I stayed on it all night. I played pop. Good God. Oh, man. Damn, hangover. Like oh, that. Snat. Yeah, work on your, work on your snat chaps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Working on my snat dynamics. <laughs> keep the ghost notes down on my snat and hair. Oh, like oh. snat. Like snat. <laughs> Hair. All right. Next question. Oh, what was I going to say about it? Oh, I don't know. I think some, it was actually, some dribble. Uh, it was actually directed to me, and now I don't remember. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> what I was going to say is that uh, it's kind of a chicken or the egg kind of a thing. Like you have to be. I think you have to be exploring and really developing your drumming in order to get the pop gigs. You, know, you have to kind of be pushing yourself to a point where you're like, you know, just. Like, staying excited always finding something new and shannon forrest yeah. is my kind of icon of that where the guy's you know he's he's 40 and he's he's practicing double bass like a madman but yet he plays with toto and he's never going to use that really to that degree right so i think just just staying hungry and finding stuff that you're curious about and not even caring that if you never ever use it uh you know whatever it could be i mean it's for me it's it's kind of getting into other instruments guitar i know i'm never going to actually play guitar but i'm just finding it inspiring to learn how to play you know proper bar chords for the first time and 
right things like that so yeah i think you just have to just like you said separate it it's not it's not about the pop gigs it's about making your drumming better and there's always stuff to make it better and it's not always the subtle stuff sometimes it's big stuff you know can you can you increase your your speed around the kit which will then just make your pop fills all much more fluid and effortless I think, yeah, I mean, super, super fluid. Um, and that comes from pushing yourself also. The other thing that I get from that is it seems like with the more advanced stuff, it's easier for me to hear when it doesn't groove and doesn't feel right. Um, sometimes, like, if I have just a basic groove, it's really hard to hear the nuances in that. But when I'm learning something super advanced, I can really hear, like, God, this is stiff. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's so dense that I just can't even make it feel good. So I become obsessed with trying to make – how can I make all 32 of these notes per bar actually feel like something that someone would want to listen to instead of just be impressed by on Instagram? So right. I, I'm with you, man. All right. Let's see. Let's go with one more here. Uh, yeah. Maybe one or two. We got a few minutes. Okay. So the next one comes from Christian. Um He's wondering about all these new symbol companies that have popped up and they appear to be entering the market with like really low prices. Mm. Um, so obviously we're all you know looking to save money, but do we really? His question is: Do we really know the the conditions that those symbols were being produced? Do we really know oh, how wow. these symbols were being made? What a uh, great question. I think it is a great question, and I'm kind of the same way. I'm definitely a skeptic when I see like five new symbol companies are launched and and i'm also really pay really attention to how they're marketing themselves are they you know are they just trying to hawk symbols or are they trying to really bring something unique to the market yeah because there is i mean i won't i won't call any brands out but there definitely are oem symbol companies that are just buying symbols from from other companies and putting their logos on them mm -hmm. uh, so in that regard i mean they're still probably fine symbols but they're probably not getting the choice pieces coming out of the factory, you know. Right. Like they're probably saving those for the for the the actual brands that they're they're that's, that's making them. Um, so I'll just say, pay attention and and give them some time. I wouldn't I wouldn't just jump on the first new symbol company because they offer you an endorsement or super discounts. Um, Man, you know, that like, stuff's tough. When, it is when tough. you have younger drummers that don't understand the endorsement game. They don't even really understand why they need an endorsement and. You know, they get offered something from a one of those companies, and of course, I mean, why wouldn't they be stoked? They they're like, well, yeah, this is awesome, but it's like, eh, it's not, and it's brand association, and yeah. trust me, Minel, Zildjian, Sabian, they know who you played for before, and they're going to look into it. Um, so, you know, the one thing that he, I don't know if he meant to bring it up, but it made me think of like, I I wonder how some of the, when he says how these symbols are being produced. My thought is like, what are the labor conditions in the places where these symbols yeah. are being produced? Um, <clears throat> yeah, who knows? You know, I mean, there are a few Chinese companies that, that have been popping up. Right, um, I, you just don't know. I, that's that is, but it's the same thing in Turkey. You don't. I don't. I don't really no, know. No, I mean, how it's going I know everything there. about what Meinl does in Germany, um, but it's not like you know because the, the the stuff in Turkey is such secret sauce. Like, there, there's not even videos floating around of of Turkish symbols being produced, at least not yeah. a lot of them. So, so yeah, I think it's something that you have to really identify with the brand, how they advertise. You have to identify with the longevity of their quality. How long have they been making quality stuff? And you have to also identify with their artists because those yeah. are the people that are let in on the in. And so if you notice like, man, 
I just love their team of roster or their team of artists. They seem like really good guys. Then that's probably a symbol company that you can really believe in. You're not going to get 15 really good dudes to get on board with with a scam. Yeah. So yeah. Um, honestly, the Minel's roster had a lot to do with me going to Minel because I, I had to think, why would Chris Coleman sign with Minel? And this was at a time that Minel wasn't as big as they are now. Yeah. I thought, why would Thomas yeah. Lang sign there? Why did Benny Greb sign there? So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think looking at the artist's roster would be helpful too. I got a little uh, inside trade secret about uh, oh, how, to, how to tell if your symbol is top quality or not. Bring it. So like I said, some, sometimes, you know, obviously not every symbol is perfect. Um, and so sometimes they just slap the logo on it and ship it out and hope no one sees that it's not perfectly balanced or whatever. Sure. So if you put a symbol or if you go to a shop and it's maybe a, a company you've never heard of, I think we could say that the biggies are going to have really good quality control. So we're talking about the smaller companies that are kind of new and, and a little bit unknown. So if you put a symbol on a stand, like a ride symbol with a slight angle and play it for a while, and if that symbol spins to where the logos are upside down, Chances are that's a factory second because it Ooh, wasn't balanced properly. Balanced, yeah. So that's you know it it probably would be fine, but it could be it could be susceptible to cracking more easily. I'm I'm totally speculating, but I had someone on the inside tell me that he was he saw a video that I did and he goes, "Dude, they sent you seconds, man. Look at the logos; they're all upside down." Wow, <laughs> man. So it's not just bad for your OCD. Yeah, I mean, you would go nuts. Yeah, you would. <laughs> I would, would, go I would lose my mind. <laughs> I'd be like, "I'm sorry, I have to leave your company immediately. Your logos are driving me nuts." I mean, yeah. I, you know, when you hit your symbols a certain way, you expect them to spin. But there are like my, I don't ever have to straighten the logo on my ride. It's a heavy symbol. It's tilted towards me. It's you know, I'm not swiping on it, so it yeah. pretty much stays put. So that's that's good to know. I love it. Great yeah. information. Yeah. All right, Probably. do we have time for one more? Yeah, let's see what else we got here. Uh... This one, I feel like we might have answered. This probably came in a different version. Um, this comes from Dan, Daniel. Uh, his question is, he's interested in, in beginning to play quieter and expand his versatility with gigging. Uh, so he's he's looking for advice on how to maintain intensity and you know interesting ideas at a very low volume. He can play quietly, but I, he says, I find it hard to express myself the same way I do when I play loud. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a really tough one, and I think it's uh, practice, practice, practice. Because we almost all everybody practices like a medium volume. Yeah, nobody practices uh, unless they you know learn the hard way that if you're going to play a loud rock gig, you have to practice loud. Right. If you're going to play a quiet jazz gig, you have to practice quiet. You can't just practice medium and then think and those then chops are going to be yep. there. So I, I think I totally you know agree. work on every groove you know at every dynamic and every tempo and and try to maintain that medium mid tempo medium volume yeah. feel you know at the super low and super fast that that's usually the biggest challenge is to play very quietly and fast yeah and i mean just switch for a little while you're going to play every volume for the rest of your life there's just going to be random rock gigs that come up that allow you to slam so i would say take this opportunity to really fall in love with the people that do it really well get into jim keltner check out carter mclean check out matt chamberlain check out mark juliana and these people and make an art out of playing quiet and tasteful and articulate and the other thing is and i've said this before on this podcast take out your earplugs you gotta yeah. you've got to hear what everyone else is hearing and once once you're like god that's loud it's like well you're in control of it so <laughs> 
it's not loud. You're loud. Once you hear that it's loud, bring the volume down. And when you, if you can play your drum set for 45 minutes without even thinking about earplugs, then you're, that means that someone could have listened to your drum set for 45 minutes without earplugs. So, um, you know, be careful, but bring that volume down and fall in love with it and make an art out of it. And it'll be this period of your life where you just say, yeah, I remember for like two years back in 2017 to 2019, I just worked on playing quiet. You'll have that skill for the rest of your life and it'll never that there's no way that won't benefit you as a musician. Yeah. And I think technically you, you should definitely be exploring heels down on the bass drum yeah. and the hi-hat stand and choke up on the sticks some. You know, exactly. Scoot up another inch and that just automatically limits your dynamic in a certain way. Uh, yeah. And, you know, keep. And keep a good solid grip on the stick. Don't you know if, if you start to get feather, you know the fingers out. You're going to lose control. Yeah, you know, so little things. And and I think every, those, when you play quietly, the differences in dynamics is so extreme. So it takes a lot more control. Not to mention it, it opens up the whole drum set as far as you know. There's a huge difference when you play quiet between the middle of the head and three inches off to the side. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it really starts to bring everything up, and you start to fall in love with it. So it's cool. Yeah. Dig it. All right. That's it for this week. So, yeah, next week we'll we'll maybe try to get in some of the audio questions, maybe do half the episode of of listener questions. So if you have any questions that you want to get into that episode, send them to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com, and we will get a bunch of them done next week. Boom. All right. It's time for pick of the week. Uh, My pick of the week this time is something that is not new by any means, so I'm not really bringing your attention to it. I just experienced it for the first time for me. And that is, I, I realized that I had no music in the house, uh, and it's been a very TV-driven home for quite a while, and it's just not healthy for me as a musician to have TV as my background noise. So uh, I went out and I got the Sonos sound system, and I didn't go crazy with. It. I just got they have these. Um, I think it's called the Sonos One, maybe. Okay. I'll look it up, but uh, it's their cheapest speaker, um, and it's two hundred dollars. Yeah, it's called the Sonos Play One. So it's a compact speaker, and it has its own Wi-Fi in it. So you don't—it's not a Bluetooth speaker. It's you use the Sonos app to tell it what to play, and it's playing it from your Wi-Fi connection. So your phone doesn't need to be anywhere near this thing. Mm, Okay. So I bought a few of them, one for each room. I can't even explain the sound quality. Is—is it really clear, bro? And and what's crazy is at first as a musician I was kind of upset that uh, at least I haven't found it they didn't have a way to like EQ the speaker mm-hmm. um, they you don't need it it is so flawless like it has the exact amount of bass that you want it gets as loud as you could possibly imagine it's so worth it and then they're all connected to each other so when I bring up my app it'll say okay do you want to connect the kitchen the office and your bedroom all on the same thing or do you want to play three separate songs in three separate rooms. It's it's really well done, and uh, I know there's a lot of choices out there besides Sonos, so I'm not saying that this is the best. It's just the one that I got because I wanted the ease of use of it, and I like the looks of it. Um, and I like the fact that at $200, maybe every couple months I can just kind of go, you know what? I wish we had one in this room, and I can just add it, and it just goes – it's all part of it, and they don't have to be wired together. They just pick up your Wi-Fi, and you're set. Nice. That's very yeah, cool. So. Check it out, Sonos Play One. Like I said, it's about two hundred dollars at Target, Best Buy, B and H, Walmart, wherever you go. My pick uh, is is another set of earplugs. I'm like a nerd for trying to find new and exciting earplugs. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> There's a company called Vibes that they're making twenty three ninety nine earplugs that are designed to. Uh, I mean, they're designed for for music 
for going to concerts or for playing. Uh-huh. Okay. So it does it it has twenty two decibels of sound reduction, but it brings everything down evenly. And I've been using these for practicing. That's you know, just what I put in when I go sit the kit the first thing in the morning, and it they're they're great. I don't. Uh, I mean, I, I love the erasers. Those are what I use on gigs, so they stay in my in my uh, cymbal bag. And these are at home, and they're they're great. I see, I can still play with touch and musicality. It's not muting all the high end, but it just it just brings everything down, so it's just not it's not damaging. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I we all love the the decibel reduction of foam earplugs, but I mean, you just you, you're just so I feel so separated from the drums when I use those. Yeah, and you can get used to those, and you really lose track of the high end and what you're producing. So yep. then you get to a gig and it's like the cymbals are just out of control. Uh, these are good for just, you know, I, I, I just keep them right by my kit. You know, they're only 23 bucks and they come with three different tips. So you can kind of match them to your ear size. And nice. it comes with a, a little black uh, little case, plastic case. So they're kind of like one of those, like, I'm not precious about it. They're not custom molded earplugs, but they give you the same sort of effect. Like you, you can, you can kind of forget that you're wearing them after a right. while. And they're clear, so they're not like the bright orange or anything poking out of your ear. Sure. So you felt when you put them in, though, you felt as far as the sound quality, it stayed similar to, it, to yeah. not having them in. It's pretty accurate. I mean, you do okay. you do lose some of the the wash from the symbols and stuff like right. that. Uh, but I I feel like I can review products with these in and and still have a fair nice. assessment of everything. Nice man, that's awesome. That's my pick. That's great. There you go. Uh, you can check those out at Discover. Hello, hello, <laughs> Snat Hair, um, <laughs> Kick Snat Hair. Um, you can discuss. You can check those out at discovervibes.com. My goodness, I thought I didn't have any nam layover. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, I just googled Snat. <laughs> nam. It's a secure network address translation. Oh my goodness! <laughs> not too, not too fun. Oh man. Kick snat hair. <laughs> Check out Mike's silly little earplugs at discovervibes.com. <laughs> I'm actually going to order some right now. Those look awesome, man. Yeah, they're, they're great. So. All right, everybody. Have a fantastic week. Thanks for dealing with mine and Mike's NAM hangover, which is different than a layover. We will be back to our normal energetic levels next week. In the meantime, you can always email us at mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. Send your questions there. We will try to get to them as fast as we can. Just know that as the podcast grows, so do those questions. So it does take a little while to get through it. So for those of you that write us about depression and we answer it three months later, we just hope that you made it through. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're going to try to be a little bit more timely, but uh, it's tough. It's tough. And we have an hour. We're doing our best. All right, buddy. We'll have a good week, man, and I will see you next week. See ya. Bye.